Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Romans Empire podcast. My name is Zach, and I'm joined, as always, by my trusty co-hosts, Sam and Andres. So first things first, Sam, I'm actually going to start by introducing Andres, um, because I feel like I never introduce you first, man. So uh, how you doing, Andres? Oh, well, I'm doing all right. I'm obviously upset about the loss, but I'm actually way more upset. We did uh, trivia tonight at the, a bar right by my apartment going into the last round we were in second place by just one point and we just couldn't close the gap so still a little upset about this loss but can't be too upset when you get to talk chelsea with some with some bros so Sam, how yeah. are you man Dude, it's great to be here uh it's unfortunate that zach's voice uh, couldn't make it here with us but uh you know courtesy of an anthony davis game winner yeah, two days later, his voice is still gone. I don't trust it. I don't know. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I thought I had COVID. Yeah, that's what um, I was gonna say. <laughs> but um, but I I feel great. So I still have my appetite. I can taste everything. So I, you know, I guess I don't have it. But yeah, I mean, you got, just kind of bear with me. My voice is sort of hoarse. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 still ready to record though. So there's no worries. All right, then let's get into it. Uh. Chelsea fall to Liverpool, nil to two. Uh, going through our starting eleven, lined up with a four-three-three. Kepa in goal, Alonso, Zuma, Christensen, Reese James on the back line. Jorginho, Kovacic, and Angola Conte at the midfield, and a front three of Mason Mount, Kai Havertz, and Timo Werner. So uh, let's start off as always. Your first impressions on the starting eleven. Andreas, I'm going to start off with you because Zach wants to start off with you and I want to make him feel jealous like how he <laughs> made me feel jealous. So go ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm actually pretty sure sh- I was actually pretty shocked with this starting 11. The fact that Havertz was lined up. Well, at first I thought Havertz was going to be lined up as right winger. Then we actually saw it and he was lined up. Uh, as our number nine. So I was expecting a 4-2-3-1 now that Kovacic is back and perhaps having Giroud up top, Havertz at the 10 where he should be playing with <clears throat> Werner and Mount flanking him. So we've had a target man against Liverpool before. I figured that that same strategy would work this time, but Frank obviously thought differently. Yeah, I thought... I thought um... You know, I, I it was kind of interesting, similar to Andres's feeling on it. Um, I thought Werner would be playing up the middle since we didn't have a natural nine there. Um, but obviously that wasn't uh, what Frank opted to go for here. Um, I would have liked to see one of Tammy or Ali Giroud playing just because the game plan was clear. We, we were trying to expose their high press and, um, and, and ping balls into the channels that uh, Andy Robertson and uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold leave unoccupied when they push forward when Liverpool's in possession and the runs were there um, and I feel like the opportunities to play the balls were there but oftentimes um, there was no player to link up with um, in the center of the pitch. I thought Kai Havertz would be playing more of a false nine role but he was actually our, our most forward player um, which kind of took me by surprise to be completely honest. Um, it's not a surprise, though, that, you know, Tammy Abraham comes into the game later and, and, and makes an impact. And I think it just kind of goes to back up the point me and Andres were saying, where in a game like this, um, 
where you're probably not going to be seeing much of the ball. You do need to have a proper nine out there, um, or at least playing like you have a nine out there. So maybe Werner moving to the central area and Kai Havertz going out wide. But it was a uh, it was confusing. It, it was very confusing. I'm not going to lie. And, and I think we're going to get into it a little later when we talk about Frank. But um, it's it's not it's not the lineup choice I would have expected him to pick, especially. And it's disappointing because you always want to trust him out there and you see these head-scratching decisions and, uh, you know, him making the same decision two matches in a row. It's, you know, it's a little concerning, but, you know, I think that the Chelsea fans who are already on the Frank out train, uh, they should, you know, hold their horses a little bit. We're still without a lot of key players and, you know, really no preseason no, like what was it like we we played two weeks later than most teams into the into the year, and uh, you know the only ones who played later were City and United, and they got a week off, uh, while we didn't. So, but you know, it, 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 these are all the things that Frank talked about today, actually, in uh, in his press conference. But you know, it's 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 something to think about. Like, you know, going into the first half, back to the Liverpool match, going into the first half. Obviously, it was it's a completely different you know game in the second half after Christensen's red card. But going into the first half with with all of our eleven players, what was Frank's game plan? How did we set up tactically? Uh, Zach, I'll start off with you. Um, I mean, I kind of touched on it earlier. It looked like the plan of attack was to have uh, Werner sort of fill in that channel that Trent leaves open on the right hand side. Um, since they play a high line, it makes sense to put pace out wide. So I'm not completely against the decision to play Werner out there because it makes sense. You want to have your quickest players out wide to expose them. Um, but I had an issue with Havertz playing in that central role because he never really got into the game much. Yes, he the runs him and Timo were making were decent. Um, some of the runs Timo were making were actually phenomenal, uh, but the timing was still off. And I think that comes with chemistry and, you know, the midfield players getting used to the timing of some of the runs that these guys make. But um, it it just seemed like this game was begging for an old school long ball over the top. And we never really got that. And, you know, I know we got technicians out there like Jorginho, um, guys like Kovacic who are more prone to playing, you know, uh, the short ball. Um but it would have been nice to see somebody ping something over the top for Timo to run into because you have a guy with that kind of pace, and I think he's showed it in both matches. It's it's essentially a cheat code at this point, and for us not to be exploiting that more often is kind of confusing. I think the first half, it wasn't necessarily a negative half for us. I thought we didn't attack as well as we could have, but I thought we defended really well. Um, and, you know, it, without that red card, it makes you think what could have happened in the second half you know, if Frank made the correct substitutions or if he made the right tactical changes to kind of get Timo the ball a little bit more, to get Kai Havertz on the ball a little bit more. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, we, we just never got to that point. And, and, and I think that's a frustrating thing that a lot of Chelsea fans are finding with this game in general. It's not the fact that we lost to Liverpool the way we did. Um, it's the fact that Liverpool never really kicked it into gear. So they were essentially there for the taking. Um, but, you know, the, the red card just kind of threw everything off. And it's not like Timo Werner wasn't making these runs. He made he made these runs. It just I think it was due to the other players just not realizing it, not seeing it, not making those balls. Like Jorginho made a couple that were off, but 
you know, at least he's going for it. And th- to be fair, also Werner had a couple chances that he should have put away that he didn't. It just so, makes you miss that um, that that sort yeah. of Fabregas to Costa forty yard little clip the ball over oh. the top into one of the channels. <laughs> Fabregas would have the, would have so much fun with Werner. Oh, he would, yeah, a hundred percent. But the the tactics were there. I mean, Zach, Zach, you talk about like they're not being like correct or whatever but we had him right it's just alonzo takes seven touches before putting his head up Jorginho can make the short passes he tries the long ball the only long ball Jorginho that i can think of off the top of my head that he completed was the ball to tammy against wolves last season everything else i swear is always five yards too short and behind the run like he tried a couple times it just wasn't there the fact that mason mount had more through balls over the top into the sides than our actual like midfielders or again Alonzo who has Timo Werner in front of him. Timo Werner has the space because Alexander Arnold was never right there with him, but he would let Fabinho slide over and be in the right place because of his ten touches. Like the game was there for the taking. You mentioned it. Liverpool didn't do anything uh, defensively. We were sound, but. Jorginho doesn't have any urgency like Fabregas, as you mentioned again. Alonso, I'm not really sure what game he's playing because now that's back-to-back games where he just does not look up quickly enough, fully knowing that if you put a ball in front of Timo Werner, he's going to win that race. And then, yeah, the final piece, there was one chance I can think of where Timo was clear and he decided to dribble it back towards the middle towards a player. And the other was when Timo made the clear run, found Mason Mount, Mason was the first not to shoot, and then he also passes it to Conte, who also opted out of shooting. That was Two that was a head chances. scratcher. I don't know why Angolo Conte yeah. didn't take that shot. I watched, I rewatched the match, and I still had that same feeling, like go on shoot, knowing very well that he he wasn't going to because I already saw it. But I mean, it's just it was like that was a clear chance. That's just not the Angolo Conte. And Conte has you know? scored on them before. Yeah. He scored on Liverpool. Conte Conte likes yeah, to he's... score on the big teams. He scored on Tottenham. He scored on City. He scored on uh, uh, Liverpool too. Like somehow he gets his like one of four goals against these top sides, and and he didn't even pull the trigger. That was the, shocking. The point I'm trying to make is that although we're not used to not having the ball, based on last season's tactics, we were doing the right thing. We knew that beating Liverpool in their own game and, and having the ball wasn't it, and we could have done it until. Sam, I'll let you take over. <laughs> Until the red card? Is that what you're about to say? I didn't. I don't know where yep. you were going. Okay, yeah, cool, got it. Uh, well, I mean, uh, before we get into that, just finishing up the first half, like I think you know, although Liverpool did have the ball, like have pretty much dominate possession, uh, and and they had the ball pretty much in their half the whole the whole match, uh, or sorry, our half. I didn't really see much out of their stars, you know. Like I didn't see, I didn't see Firmino, I didn't see Salah, I didn't see Mane do much in the first half. I think Chelsea did a good job, uh, kind of not allowing them to get the ball and in dangerous spots, which is, which was, in, which was, you know, really impressive. But, you know, that red card by Christensen, like, I think like that was definitely a winnable game. And I think even after the red card, it was a winnable game, but. It's, you know that just made it so difficult to uh, counter that. I mean, up until that perform, like up until that red card, what did you guys think, Andreas, like about our performance up until that point? 
I literally thought we were one conversation at halftime and perhaps one sub mm-hmm. at half from breaking down mm-hmm. Liverpool. And, and I truly believed had we scored first, and of course the red card doesn't happen, we could have gotten three points and a deserved three points at yeah. that too. I think I think it's important to have a little bit of perspective um, when you look at the results of the game and the circumstances. Um, the injuries we had, the fact that we're essentially being forced to play some new players that might not necessarily be ready to start from the get-go, and I am talking about Kai Havertz uh, because he doesn't look ready tactically, but, uh, you know, unfortunately we did have to play those guys. Um, I'm not down on the performance at all, you know. It, it, it's it's only going to take a player like Ziyech to come in and possibly start finding those balls over the top all of a sudden, um, like we did see in the preseason. You know, it, it's going to take a guy like Chobo to come in and shore up the left-hand side, or a guy like Thiago Silva to come in and maybe drop five yards off of Mane to to compensate for you know not having as much speed as him, um, as opposed to Christensen playing him that tight. You know, it, it's fine margins and and. Unfortunately, at the top level against top teams, they make you pay for it, and that's what Liverpool did. Um, you know, some you kind of hit the nail on the head. What sums up our first half is the fact that their big three really didn't touch the ball much, and they didn't really get into dangerous positions. We sat off of them. We let them have the ball um, in the midfield areas, and that was fine um, because our defensive shape was, was holding up pretty well up to that point. So the fact that we conceded a red card... Um, before the half was what was disheartening to say the least, but I don't think it's any reason whatsoever to get down on this Chelsea team moving forward. Mm-hmm. I agree. And you know, like what you said about maintaining our defensive shape, that was a problem we had last year really bad. And I mean, Liverpool also did a great job at it. So that's why that first half ended nil nil. Like it was, it was a, it was an interesting kind of, chess match that we're playing but you know at halftime uh kai havertz gets taken out for uh tamori you know because we're down a center back uh we got a twitter question from at ct go wolves I don't, I don't think that's a reference to wolverhampton but uh he says hear me out i know havertz didn't do much in the first half but down a man would you have pulled Jorginho over him at halftime andreas would, what do you think of that uh, I would have not. I mean, I would. I agree. I would have totally pulled out Jorginho. <laughs> and, you read that backwards, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had I had my answers written down here wrong. But the point is, we were. You know, we have our Discord for the Red Ultras, and halftime comes, and the first thing I said is, take off Jorginho, take him off. We I spoke about it earlier. He was slowing down the counter attack. His passes weren't being over the top, and defensively speaking. We talked about our defensive shape being good. He's the one guy that was a pedestrian the whole time. I I still think he's trying to overcompensate. He is the base of a midfield three, and there was times where he was completely stepping out of line and trying trying to catch up to somebody 10 yards ahead of him, uh, which we all know that's never going to happen. Uh, I think Kovacic and Conte would have, wouldn't have even missed him in the midfield, defensively speaking, after the red card. And... Again, I think Kai Havertz was having at least flashes of brilliance, and all it takes for a player like him is to get one moment to make a difference. I would have taken out, uh, I would have taken out Jorginho for Tomori and kept our shape, keeping Werner and Mount flanking 
Kai, and I would have felt comfortable in at least giving us a fighting chance that way because the tactics were there. Had we found Mount and Werner early in the wide spaces, especially now that Liverpool would have tried to attack more, we could have caught them off guard maybe once in the whole game, and that's all it takes sometimes to get that lead. So I would have definitely opted out to move out Jorginho rather than taking out Kai Havertz. Yeah, I think the frustrating part was that, you know, we're going into the second half. It's 0-0. I see the logic in Frank keeping a guy like Jorginho on um, just so you can have that extra man in the midfield. Um, but at the same time, it it was frustrating because we could have easily moved Mason Mount back there, and he probably would have given us more defensively in terms of work rate um, and actually getting stuck in and making tackles and winning the ball, which Jorginho seemed to do none of um, in the game. Um but I wasn't necessarily opposed to pulling Kai Havertz out of the game. Um, like I said, you know, the runs he was making were, were were decent. He gets into good positions. And I think I think you could tell by the way his spatial awareness on the pitch. He, he's very aware of what runs need to be made and when. Um, you can tell that there's a classy player in there. But just the timing of those runs with his teammates is still a little bit off. And I think that's something that's going to take time. And I understood the decision to, to hook him. Um, I know we're going to get into it a little bit later. I wasn't necessarily too fussed about the first sub as opposed to the timing of but when we made our other switches, though. I guess I want to bring up the fact that you have a player less than Liverpool. You're taking, you're making now Timo basically be a, a guy who's like half the size of Van Dyke, by the way. The only outlet if possession isn't an option. So, again, Jorginho, who wasn't doing much of progressing the ball taking him out wouldn't have made a difference versus Kai is 6-2. At least you have a lightning uh, what's that called? Like a lightning rod for those passes. Like Timo's never going to yeah, win I... the ball in the air even if you, maybe you tell Kai at halftime like yeah hey we need you to be more of a false nine slash like check in for the ball and, and play make because without Jorginho, like Jorginho even if he gets the ball who is he going to play it out to? Like, yeah, they're, they're, that's, well, that was my thing. Like, I thought, okay, take Jorginho out. Kovacic and Conte can get the ball either off their feet sooner or out of pressure. And then you still have three options up top, and one guy is 6'2". You, you can't run a two-man midfield against Liverpool. That, that's the problem. I especially, mean, because they over, especially because they overload with, by throwing their wingbacks into the attack. So you, so you essentially, you got to play with three midfielders because the two outside mids were the ones tracking the wingers. You talk, about, ten men. you talk about Mount make doing the work. I mean, you make Mount be more of a defensive winger than anything, and that, that still gives you the three. That's, but you keep Kai on. My point was that, that I yeah. never, never understood Kai leaving, at least unless you were making two subs at half and you bring on Giroud and or, I mean, Giroud or Tammy along with taking out uh along with adding to mori i mean i know but but you keep a guy like kai havertz in he wasn't too involved in the first half from what we saw you, if you keep him in the second half you're essentially taking the l defensively by leaving him in the game because he doesn't put in any shift defensively from what we've seen it, it, he, he was press. playing striker though what were you asking he doesn't press he doesn't 
I, if we go down to 10 men, it was clear Frank just didn't trust him to track back and, and do the hard yards. Maybe he's not fit I, enough yet. Maybe, I have another you know, theory. Frank didn't feel comfortable sticking with him through the second half, but I wasn't against the decision of taking off Kai Havertz. But the Jorginho thing was confusing. I thought making more sense, it would have it would have made more sense to have Conte play deeper because he was playing high up the pitch. Um, maybe have Conte drop in for Jorginho and put Kovacic and Mount in front of him and have them do the tracking and running because they're way more mobile. It, it, that was the confusing part for me. You know, we saw Frank play N'Golo Conte as a proper number six, as a midfield destroyer towards the end of last season. And then we come into this season and all of a sudden he's high pressing again. It's It was confusing. And, and I think that was part of the reason why we got exposed at the back. Um, because there's just there, there's gaps everywhere when Jorginho's there and, and Liverpool is playing in transition. We just got exposed. I have a theory. Okay, so I'm last week... We, we talked about Jorginho a little bit, and I said that I thought he played terribly. Um, Zach was the only one who, who kind of backed him up a little bit, and I re-watched the match afterwards, and, like, without Dave in there, he really is the only, like, vocal leader on the team, like, near the back. So, yeah. I mean, then after That's I... very good After point. I re-watched... I rewatched the Liverpool match the first half later that night, and I just like watched Jorginho for like a long period of time, and him barking at everyone, telling everyone where to go, like like adjusting the the, the defense, and like I I think that he 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 cannot defend himself, like he just there's 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 certain like you, you see this so many times when a player's running at him, he just like plants his feet, and like at the last second wants to dive towards the ball and it's just like like what he's like standing on his heels but like him barking orders being a leader out there i think the only way that he would be able to take him out is if he put dave in but he's not going to put dave in on the you know four in a four back formation um so you know keeping Jorginho on you're going to need that kind of you know being down a man against this liverpool side you need a guy out there who's going to be the leader and kai havertz is young he's not going to provide that at this point in time, you know, he's brand new to the team. Jorginho just, is the co-captain. So I think that, just, that has something to do with it. It's just starting to feel like Jorginho is a square peg. And we're trying to fit him into a round hole at this point. Yeah. With this, with this team. Specifically. We, we found that out after project restart. When yeah. Thiago no, Silva it, comes back, when, you know, that, that, that's what I was about to that say. That concern is not going to be Homeboy needs same. to learn English first. Yeah. I know. I watch uh, his interview. I mean, today. all he has to say yeah. is press, stay, push up like well the nice thing is he speaks speak french so 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 if he's playing with with kurt zuma and conte and, and him, at least there'll be yeah and aspie there'll be yeah aspie speaks french too there'll be a line in front of you know he'll, at least he'll be able to communicate especially with mendy coming in who's a french speaker also mm-hmm. so 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 i think i think you know communication wise i think our problems should be solved with with a guy like tiago silva so hopefully that'll see less of a need for Jorginho. Yeah, but like Sam, I'm gonna make you really happy. You know, we we talk about, you know, the lack of having that guy who could play the long ball over the top, especially without Ziyech. Maybe a guy like Barkley in this game would have made more sense to start over over Jorginho because Barkley could just pick his head up and ping a long ball mm-hmm. and try to find and try to find Timo a lot quicker. 
He doesn't make those and balls Barkley that often. Barkley was though. part of the team that beat Liverpool in the FA Cup. Like we yeah. we had a formula for this, I, and that's yeah. the part that's so frustrating. We we did it with the attacking eights and a base Conte six. It's it's like why are we trying to? I feel like recently Frank is trying to reinvent the wheel. I know we're short with injuries and the fitness of players and whatnot, but but my thought process recently is that he's just trying to reinvent the wheel every week when we at least. I personally thought we had found our formula in Project Restart. Yeah, I think it's more a matter of kind of taking the positive from last season and using the pieces that we acquired this season and kind of building on it. And it doesn't seem like we're doing that because we we were sort of – when we started this game specifically, we were – as as much as we talk about being good defensively, we kind of started the game with sort of a half press. It was kind of confusing what our tactic was to start. You know, a couple of our forward players were pressing. Ball would go into the central positions of one of the center backs and we'd sit off. And then after a while, you kind of understood, okay, you know, we're going to be sitting back and, and, and try to hit them on the counter. Well, that works against Liverpool. The only way to beat them is a smash and grab. I think, you know, teams like Watford and, 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 and Atletico of last year could attest to that. But it doesn't make sense to counterattack and try to play out of the back at the same time. And that was a confusing aspect of the way we were set up tactically is, you know, the long ball was there to play over the top. Timo and Kai were making runs. Even Mason Mount at times were making was making decent runs. But we were taking too many touches on the ball. Or we were so adamant on working it through our midfield and around our back line. By the time the ball gets swung to the other side of the pitch, Liverpool's already set. And now all of a sudden you have the best defense in the Premier League in front of you. So I think that's why we found it a little difficult to find some sort of freedom in the game. You know, if, if, if we're going to go and start a game with a tactic, and I think this is what I'm trying to get to, mm-hmm. is if we're going to get into a match against Liverpool and deploy a tactic, a smash and grab tactic, we have to stick with it. And mm-hmm. I think there was too much, th- there were too many periods in the game where we just seemed completely out of rhythm and just had no flow because what would happen is Liverpool gets possession for a couple minutes, they'll ping together 15 to 20 passes. We nick the ball. We try to ping together five or six passes. Liverpool nip it back off of us. Now our backs are against the wall again. And it's just rinse and repeat. Instead, let's win the ball. Maybe play it to an outlet in the midfield. Like a like a, play, a player like Ross Barkley. Pick your head up. Find a long ball. Boom. All Timo has to do is hold onto it and find another pass. And all of a sudden, we could transition into our attack now. As opposed to winning the ball in the midfield. Play it to Jorginho. Play a sideways pass to Alonso. Play it back to Zuma. Zuma to to Christensen. Christensen out wide to Reese. And it just, it was just a never-ending cycle of us trying to play out of the back and trying to play this way. And sometimes you just want to see the old school football. You just want to see the ball get put over the top. And something else to think about, like who on this team is going to be more up for a Liverpool match than Ross Barkley. Like, he definitely has the most animosity against them yeah. you know, growing up an Everton boy. So, yeah. I mean, obviously that's, you know, probably not a huge factor going into, you know, Frank's decision. But, I mean, you know, going into the second half, we go down 2-0 uh, in the 54th minute off just a horrendous, horrendous Kepa error. And I, I don't even want to talk about it because it's just the same thing over and over again. And I'm just hoping that was the final straw. Because I, I think Caballero has been confirmed to start tomorrow, right? Thank God. So Correct. I think that was the last we've seen him. Now this Mendy deal's going through. 
I mean, I think that was – it was just too perfect. I it forgot who it perfect. was. I want to shout him out. I need to find out who it is. But um, but somebody tweeted at us. <laughs> no, no, no. Somebody tweeted at us that um, that Keppa should uh should be uh, passing out match day programs because nobody's gonna be nobody's <laughs> gonna be in for him. Oh, shout out to Andrew Turney. There it is. He said Keppa is done. Let him sell match day programs for the next seven years. No one's buying it. Andrew, mm-hmm. you hit the nail right on the head, my friend. I think I think we're all at that point where Mendy can't come soon enough. Yeah. And, and and we do we do have a little Mendy piece uh, towards the end of the podcast where we get into him a little bit more and what and what to expect from him. All right, no more Keppa, no more yeah, Keppa. I'm not talking about Keppa. Uh, <laughs> so you know, going back to Ross and Tammy, um, you know, he they weren't brought in until the 78th minute. Frank opted to stick with 10 men on the pitch for about 24 minutes. You know, until then, uh, I mean. Zach, I'll start off with you. Is that too little, too late to make that kind of sub? Um, yeah, <laughs> of course it is. Um, you know, I, I I said it during the game too. It was it was it was very very confusing that we didn't pursue any real changes tactically to get control of the match after going down one nil, let alone going down two nil. And um, you know, usually Frank is quick to react to these situations, but. Against Liverpool, it was just so blatantly obvious that when we went 2-0 down, we needed a striker and we needed pace. And, you know, common sense would tell you any combination of Barkley and Tammy or Tammy and Cho would have would have made sense the second we went 2-0 down. Um, but, you know, the fact that we waited to make those changes, is it was frustrating. And, and I don't think it was a coincidence that the second Tammy comes on, he makes a run down the channel, gets the ball, and forces Allison to make a save. You know, you you get those opportunities and you create those opportunities when you play, you know, direct players. And Tammy's as as direct as it gets as a striker. I mean, he's very straightforward with the way he plays, but the fact that it took so long to make those subs and to see those subs make an impact that late in the game was frustrating. You know, Tammy gets that snapshot off. If that's 15 minutes earlier or 20 minutes earlier, all of a sudden the other 10 guys on the pitch are looking up at the, at the clock and they're thinking, shit, there's a half an hour left we're still in this you know maybe there's a couple goals for us but you know tammy comes on a little later now you look up at the clock and now there's only 10 minutes left and and that was a frustrating thing for me you know the fact that we didn't really seem it's fine if you don't make subs but when the tactics don't change for that long something's got to give so you know, I'm sure Frank is going to be as critical as of himself as we are being as as we are being as critical of him. But that type of thing can't happen again, especially at the top level. See, I, I didn't, I, I didn't think much of it because Tammy was supposed to come on, like he had him, he was talking to him on the sideline, and then the Keppa thing happened. So then I think that it was like crap. Okay talk to the coaches real quick to figure out what was going on. What should we do? And then I think by the time he was ready to go back, I thought we were finding a bit of a groove. Hell, we earned a penalty. Obviously we missed it, but to me, like what you talk about, like the tactics not being there. I mean, Frank Lampard had to hit the reset button on tactics at halftime. Mm-hmm. At halftime, he, he comes up with a potential plan. And then when things might be working, then Kepa gifts a second goal. And the, the, the 
the tactics are out the window at that point. I, I really don't think there was much thing, much else to do. So, yeah, I mean, we want changes and stuff like that, but <laughs> I don't really know what to the, what, what he could have done at that point. The change needs to be to play more direct that late in the game. But uh, all right, so so if you if you bring on Tammy right at two zero, then the two the potential two one penalty doesn't happen. Like hindsight twenty twenty, obviously. But I thought like as he was trying to maybe discuss with Jody, I, I mean I we don't have a we don't have a dugout camp per, per se. But I'm assuming second goal goes in, he confers with his coaches, and, and while that's happening, you know the the team kind of finds their groove. We almost we should have brought it back to two to one. And then, like, shifted the momentum, but instead, like, after that penalty kick, zero momentum is on us. And regardless of the subs, like, I, I honestly just didn't think much of it. I thought because of the shittiness of the situation that Christensen and Keppa put us in, I I was just like, I, there's nothing. At that point, I really was just like, no, it's, it's done. I mean, I don't think Frank has to have that mentality by any means, but yeah. – he was going to have a plan B and then you're asking him like 10 seconds later, like, Oh crap. Okay. Now I need to have a plan C now mm-hmm. over something so dumb as a keeper, not clearing the ball. How does, how does the plan change much? I mean, we're still 10 men down. We're still, we still need goals. I mean, so I, I mean, I don't know because I would have taken out Jorginho at the beginning and, and try to play maybe, like I said, maybe you would have had Giroud or Tammy at the beginning of the half, and then the plans drastically changed. So obviously he didn't think that was going to be the, the no. Big but the fact that Jorginho Jorginho um, was still on the pitch, and 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 we still didn't make just any changes, like nothing to the way we played. But he was the on the pitch, and, and we the players the weren't trying to make different runs. The the tempo didn't change. The pressing didn't change. Nothing changed. I mean, I don't think we were ever pressing. To be completely honest with you, we were looking to sit back and counter. The thing mm-hmm. is, we didn't. Know, we don't know how to counter, apparently. But yeah, I just think like again, th- he was ready to make subs early because he was like, okay, what I was gonna do at half wasn't working. The one zero happens. Okay, whatever, that's fine. My plan will still work. But then the two zero comes, and I think that's where he was like, okay, maybe we try something else coaches what do you think and then by the time he turns around we you know at that point we we might have brought it down to 2-1 so yeah yeah and it's it's hard also like midway through the second half to switch it up like that because you know you go into a match preparing a certain way right you obviously don't have you don't have the personnel to begin with uh to play the way that you want that you've been training since you know beginning of the of whenever we started training again for the season so like we don't have the personnel to play I that style. Do, and I think we do. On that bench, I mean, I don't, on that I don't bench, think, we didn't. I, you can easily start that game with Tammy at the nine, flanked by Kai. And I know, but that's, that's not what you're asking. That's a, that's a totally yeah. different situation. Though. We're, we we're asking about there. after the 54th minute, what what do you do with the situation of who you had on on the pitch? You know, and it's like it's you hard risk to bringing more to make confusion. all these changes. Yeah, because you know you're gonna have to you know relay the, the information to all ten guys and make sure they're all on the same page. Like while there's still play going on right now, you know. So I, I'm I'm siding with both of you with Andreas <laughs> that like there was probably not much you could do at that point. But also with Zach that like if you're gonna be the manager, like you can't 
ever just roll over and die. Like you gotta try to do something. But I think it's it's kind of tough in that situation with who we had available. But you know, like this move putting Tammy and Ross on, that could have been made in the 60th minute, 65th minute, 75th, you know, 70th minute. He waited until the 78th to do something. So, you know, it, I, I, and the thing, you know, something that I can't believe we haven't even brought up, you know, we're 35 minutes into this and we haven't even brought up Cho once. Mm-hmm. Like, it's crazy that this situation has evolved the way it has. Like every single, you know, going into the first two matches, I thought certainly he's going to play Cho. Like certain, you know, like he right. has to start, especially today. And still not to see anything from that. And I, I, ha- I haven't, haven't seen too many reporters ask him questions about that. I've seen tweets have, about how... We actually have a Twitter question on it um, from mm-hmm. Tim Chelsea. Okay. But if, it, it, it's, it's perfect for right now if you want to mention it. Yeah, let's... Yeah, let's uh, the thoughts on the Cho situation. And he says ex- expectations for the season. Uh, so, I mean, for me... Oh, so Lampard did may have mm-hmm. a quote on, on Cho. Okay, let me read that real quick. He says, We know in, in a Premier League squad and the number of games we're going to play, we need competition in those areas, backups in those areas, and players competing to make that position their own. That's where Callum is at, and that's why I keep saying he needs to train. He needs to show in training every day, and when he gets his opportunities in games, which he will have tomorrow because he will play against Barnsley. Wow, okay, I don't know. <laughs> this is the first time I heard that. That's awesome. He has to show in every minute, on and off the ball, what he can do for the team, and that's the position Callum is in at the minute. Uh, he's had an early breakthrough in his career because of his talent. He's had an injury, and now I want to see him flourish again. Okay, that, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I'm recording a lot, my live reaction to the quote, actually. I had no idea that he said this. But very interesting on the inside of the situation. Um, I'm excited to see him play tomorrow. Uh, but, yeah, Zach, what, what, did, what, did, you, what did you take? Of what he said this is as clear as day i mean we kind of dissected and speculated on the situation last week and i think this quote kind of validated it frank's clearly given him instructions and now it's just a matter of cho following them it's you know every time frank speaks on cho it sounds like it's starting to sound like a broken record we always hear something along the lines of he needs to put his head down and train and work really hard and we get much of the same here it's there's something he's not doing on a training pitch that's impacting his performances when given chances. And, you know, you can take this one of two ways if you're Cho. You can be negative and down on yourself about it, saying, fuck, I've been working hard, I've been putting in the time, and I'm still not getting, you know, I'm still not getting rewarded for it. Or what you can do is, listen, my manager's got my back here. He's told everybody he believes in me. He's told me exactly what I need to do. Now it's just a matter of going and getting it. Um, so, you know, I, I hope he's a professional about it. I hope he does succeed and, you know, work really hard. And, and, and I hope he trains well. But the fact that Frank keeps mentioning training is a question mark for me. Because Frank has always been outspoken on it. You're not going to play based on merit. You're going to play based on the way you train. And he rewards players based on that. We saw Fakayo Tomori. So get you him. mean he is going to choose them by merit? <laughs> He is going to choose him by merit, excuse me. Okay. And, and, and we saw, I mean, we saw it with Tamori last year, and we also saw it with Ross Barkley, where he kind of talked up these guys before giving them their opportunities in the team. And when they came into the team, they did well. So it might, Callum just might need that kick up the ass 
But, you know, this is, what, the second or third time off the top of the head that I can remember that Frank has mentioned specifically training. Um, so it's something to keep an eye on. But, Andres, what do you think? Have your thoughts changed at all, or did it just kind of validate what we, what we dissected last week? I Again, I don't know if it's because I just think that Frank is trying to reinvent the wheel. Like, if we were coming into this game knowing we were going to counterattack, and the reason you put Werner is for his direct line speed on the outside. Why not match that with direct wide runs on the other side? Natural wing play. Like, the only na- the only a, healthy a, natural winger. And a guy, again, who is, who's quick. It, and it, it removes the Jorginho conundrum because you'd go back to a, a six in Conte. Heck, 4-2-3-1. You can keep Kai as your striker for some odd reason. Mount at a 10, more of an 8 hybrid, and Werner and Cho on the outside. Like, I, I, it's, it's getting a little repetitive from Frank, and I don't know if he's just being political, but, I mean, we've seen this with Cho before. Like, it, my worry is that, like, he's just going to pout and move and want to leave and whatnot. I hope he plays tomorrow, balls out. And low key, like shows Frank what he was missing the last two matches, uh, because that I feel like maybe that's the one thing. Like we've talked about it, we talked about it last time. Like some people aren't practice players for some reason; they just aren't. So maybe one more like baller performance from Cho is what we need. I I, I don't know it, the the Cho situation and, and the current Tomori situation are two things that are extremely baffling for me. You think the Tomori situation is baffling? Why don't, why don't, yeah, I, I. Why don't you go into that? Like, a if bit? he he played, yeah. So I mean, Tomori, we know the story. Last season, injuries caused Tomori to come into our starting eleven. Next thing we know, he and Zuma are a great partnership early in the season. We win a bunch of games. He has one bad performance and a slight injury. We don't see Tomori the rest of the season since last February. Radio silence. Radio silence. Well, you know. Uh, and then this season, out of nowhere, he makes the bench ahead of Rudiger, who seemed to be a coach manager favorite. And <laughs> and now who knows what his future holds. Well, our friends at London is Blue, they had a, a crazy guest. Uh, Fabrizio Romano on. Never heard of him. <laughs> Good friend. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, so he indicated on, on the podcast that one of Rudiger or Tomori are said to leave the club this window. Um, so Rudiger's agent, who's his brother, he's already testing the Italian market because um, he still has a good reputation there from his stint with Roma. Um, but Tomori has heavy, heavy interest from Everton uh, who want to take him on a loan. But, uh, you know, his future is still unclear up to this point. So, uh, out of the two choices, sell Rudiger or loan out Tamari. Andreas, which one would you prefer? <laughs> um, are you are you seriously asking me? I mean, I, I have a pretty vocal history of how I feel about Rudiger, especially after last season. Of course, I, I'd rather get rid of Rudiger. Give him a nice little bonus a check. question. Give him a very nice little bonus for bringing in Kai and, and Timo. And you pay for his flight back to Italy. That's dirty. That's dirty business. Yeah, right? I gotta agree. 
we're still going to be pursuing Declan Rice. Um, at least that's what it seems. Um, and we're going to need to be able to fund that. So I think, you know, moving one of Alonzo or Emerson, Bakayoko, and possibly Rudiger, that can open up some funds to uh, to make a pretty substantial bid for uh, Declan Rice. Yeah, I was about to say that. You know, another report from Fabrizio Romano, we're still planning to go for Declan Rice, but it's just a matter of moving players out uh, before we can make an official bid. Uh, so, you know, that getting Rudiger out is definitely one that, that fits in with this report. And I would be, I mean, like, how much money do you think we would get from Rudiger at this point? 25 to 30? I think we could get 25 to 30 on the high end, but realistically, yeah, I think probably that's on the like high Mendy end, money, but... somewhere between 20 and 25, just just considering it's late. Yeah. He's got a decent contract. It's still. late in the window, and it's clear that he wants to move, especially with the Euros coming up. Um, so, you know, he wants to be, he wants right. to, you know, have a chance to make that squad. So Keep spot. Yeah, and I don't think Rudiger is the type of player to kick up a fuss to leave, and I think the club is not going to, you know, give him too hard of a time to leave but at the same time we're not going to just let him go for for nothing you know we're going to make sure that we get peanuts yeah something mm-hmm. for him i'd be happy if we get at least 20 especially in today's market seeing the prices that some of these other guys are going at um but i think i think knowing marina will probably see something around 25 if we can average to whoever can average 20 million from those three players you mentioned whether it's emerson or alonzo bakayoko and then rudiger that's 60 million out of the potential mm-hmm. low according to West Ham's price tag 80 yeah. million like that's pretty yeah. good uh but again the guys in London is blue had Fabrizio and he said look the likelihood of any team right now just agreeing a straight cash deal is very low that is why Morata well, is a, a loan with an option to buy to Juve I'm pretty sure Suarez is a loan to op- with a not option but obligation to buy so they're literally that cash wouldn't even reach Chelsea's pockets till next yeah. summer. Yeah. To whoever is interested in uh, Rudiger, we'll throw in a two for one special. And you guys can take Kappa uh. too for free. I mean, I, I think, <laughs> we'll throw I think that's, that's a water sweet, too. you know, a nice a sweetener. <laughs> no, I think Danny Drinkwater is crucial. We got to, we got to keep him on the squad. Didn't you guys know he's our social media admin? <laughs> <laughs> He's actually CFC mod, <laughs> but uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, all right. Let, let, talking about Kepa, right now we're officially into the transfer news. By the way, we just that was a very seamless transition. But let's talk about Eduardo Mendy. Um, Eduardo, huh? You put a Eduardo. little bit of uh, <laughs> Eduardo. <laughs> Latin, Fabrizio Latin says we're going to be that. interested in future players from South America. And now everyone's <laughs> Eduardo, Eduardo uh, Jose. Uh, golly. Eduardo Mendirosa uh, to Chelsea <laughs> for about 22 million pounds from Ren. Um, 6'4", shot stopper. And I don't know if you guys have seen this picture of him with his hands up. Huge. His arms are so long. It's Yo, hilarious. That's what I was going to talk about. His hands and arms go he for He is oh, huge. That one, there's one picture in particular. I'm going to post it on our Twitter I know tonight. which one you're talking about. Yeah, because <laughs> it's, it's, it's like hilariously long. And um, Wide screen like film only. Like fits he that literally, 
he literally has to make one save for all of us to just like fall in love that's, with him. You know, like that's all it takes. I mean, I mean, Willie Caballero makes one save, and all of a sudden, a thirty-nine-year-old is our is our savior. <laughs> like, imagine this guy on his first save. Good lord. <laughs> He yeah, comes up for a cross and catches. This, this is when I really. Whoa. This is when we really miss the fans not being at the bridge because I could just imagine the reception he would get after making one single save. Standing ovations. Uh. Um, <laughs> Zach, go, you want to go into a little bit? You know the type of player he is. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, I'm not a an expert by any stretch on league, uh, but um, I did do a little bit of scouting on him. Um, one thing is clear. You know, Sam touched on it. He's he's super long. Um, and, and he's a great shot stopper. Um, so his save percentage in League One last season, um, he he only conceded 19 goals in 24 total appearances, which is impressive considering the team he was playing on. Um, made 59 saves on 74 total shots at a 78% save rate. Um, I think we've seen stats and metrics on Keppa, and if you're listening, you've probably seen them all over social media. But in case you're wondering, Keppa's save rate compared to Edward Mendy or Eduardo Menderosa's 78% <laughs> is actually 55%. Kepa has faced 99 shots in the 2019-2020 uh, season, and he only yeah. saved 55% of them. But that is not, I think that was the worst worst save percentage in the Premier, in the Premier League. League. So, and he was all... I mean, so, the fact that that goes along with the most expensive goalkeeper of all time is... Laughable. Is it is a joke? Yeah. Now, now here's another thing. I think the other thing. stat is that he had like the worst like actual goals conceded versus expected goals like out of any. I think Jordan Pickford's the qualified. only. I think Jordan Pickford was the only goalkeeper to concede more outside the box than him too. And he's even shorter than Kepa, yeah. correct? Yeah. So like, you know, he is going to solve problems in that sense. He's a much more traditional goalkeeper in terms of physique and size. I think we were spoiled in years past with keepers like Peter Cech and and Thibaut Courtois, more more, more Courtois than Cech, but those keepers were and Ross were, were, and were also huge. Champions League legend Ross Turnbull. Ross Turnbull, no, these guys were big, <laughs> they were huge, and, and that's the thing. You know, you look at a lot of the successful goalkeepers in the Premier League, the Allisons, the Edersons. You even go down the table at some of the other keepers, the great shot stoppers. You know, uh, uh, who, who was Watford's uh, goalkeeper last season? Um, Foster? Uh, yeah, Foster. Big, lanky goalkeepers who, who who have strong hands, who look physically strong. They're just more capable of making saves. It doesn't take a genius to put that together. But one thing I want to mention before Andres can, can kind of uh, touch on this. So I, I, I went in and I actually looked at um, how good of a keeper Mendy is playing with his feet, playing with the ball out of the back. And if you compare metric per metric, um, he is just as good as Kepa with his feet in terms of um, pinging the long ball, which is something which is one of the only things that we can actually compliment Kepa on is his ability to play with his feet. I know last game we all saw the same thing, but in general, Kepa has been pretty good um, distribution-wise. So that's something we could also expect with Mendy. I think that's a reason why we, we targeted him. Because we can fill the gap by not only getting a shot stopper, but somebody that could come in and and also feel comfortable enough to play with their feet. That way, there's not too much of a transition in terms of the way we play when a new keeper is standing between the sticks. But Andres, how does a how, how does a signing make you feel in general? Um, besides the fact that we might have seen the last of Kepa. Uh, relieved. I mean, he's a cheap option, twenty two million pounds. I think he's gonna start Saturday. 
I I can't I can't see a world where he doesn't does based he have, on does he again the expect. Uh, I don't know if that's still a thing. Uh, I feel like that would have been mentioned already. I mean, Tiago and then yeah, practiced immediately. Well, yeah. I, well, I know. Uh, my my thing is that go, go ahead. for it. Sorry. I was just gonna say at the twenty-two million price tag, we're not taking a big risk like we did with Kepa, right? So, let let's put it this way. I think no, fully knowing there is no market for Kepa right now, you bring in a twenty-two million pound keeper, who. And the worst of cases is your long-term second keeper slash Carabao Cup and FA Cup goalie. In the best of cases, there's two situations. One, he flourishes. And this dude is a baller. And we have our keeper for at least the next five years, at least. Because keepers have a far longer you know, career than, than field players. Option number two is that somehow bringing this guy puts a fire in Kepa and we see flashes of Kepa under Sari where he actually saved us a few times and isn't making bonehead mistakes and is the Kepa that was about to bench De Gea from the Spanish national team. And heck, even if that doesn't mean that Chelsea is like, oh, you know what, we'll keep Kepa, at least it'll create some buzz around Kepa going into a summer of perhaps the Euros. And maybe he does win the Euros and maybe he leaves. So, it, for $22 million, you're telling me that the, the, the options are that Mendy is going to stay. He's going to stay with us no matter what and be either a second keeper, a surprisingly good first keeper, or at least someone that motivates Kepa to be good enough to find himself a way out. I think mm-hmm. that's great because I, I, I think we've reached a point where I don't know if the majority of fans – again, Zach mentioned, had fans been in the stadium for both Brighton and Liverpool – I don't think Kepa's mistakes would have been welcomed or, or at least forgiven in the eyes of fans in a season where we're supposed to be contending for for the title almost. Like, you know, obviously Liverpool and City are still the example, but the the new expectations are higher. And if, and if it's going to be one individual player that's making us not get there, I don't think – you know, it, it would be taken well. So I'm ex- I'm relieved because I think that this is going to make our defense more comfortable, our manager more comfortable. Just, I mean, Jorginho's face after that mistake was was just what everybody sees mm-hmm. when yeah, when Kepa does that. So yeah, I'm I'm relieved. Yeah, I mean, listen, Kepa is shit. He's been <laughs> shit. So if as long as Mendy plays marginally better than shit, then it's yeah. an improvement. Like he if doesn't he get a sixty percent save rate. World it's an stopper and and average like, second worst. That's what I'm saying. Average is all yeah. we need. Like that's what I'm saying. He doesn't need to be a world breaker. He doesn't like. He just needs to be serviceable. And like Kepa is is a negative. You know, like putting him out there is is you know is not you know it makes me nervous. <laughs> I mean, and I don't it, want that. It, it is sort of. Um... It, it it does make me hopeful in general. Like just the outlook on the board this window we've pretty much filled in the gaps that we had in our squad in terms of players we needed. We needed a left back. We needed a center back. We needed a new attackers. We got them. We needed a new goalkeeper. We got them. Now, we... But be more specific about the goalkeeper situation. We needed a goalkeeper who can stop shots from distance because a lot of shots that we got scored on were outside Mm -hmm. the box. 
and a lot of shots we got scored on were inside the box through set pieces. So we needed a keeper who was aerially dominant. Which he is. And I believe that. Yeah, he's yeah, very I believe he's actually known for his coming mm-hmm. out and, and being strong he in the air. He doesn't catch so the ball much. You talk about filling in. From what I've read. But Yeah, right. But, but he does. But that's on, on shot stopping itself. Yeah. But, but you talk about, like, what are Kepa's biggest weaknesses? And we talk about him getting always beat from shots from far that he should be able to track and get to. And then we talk about our very, very big weakness of set-piece defending. So, yes, we filled gaps of, like, general position, but we've also filled gaps within a position that weren't there. Like, if you put them side by side. I just like the – Like, the gaps of Kepa's game are, ma- are, are improved directly – I was signing. more alluding to the fact that we didn't necessarily go out and panic by a 35 or 40 million pound signing for both of those positions. Instead, we settled for cheap, serviceable, you know what you're going to get alternatives. You know, Tiago Silva was free and this guy's only coming at 22 million. If this guy comes in and is, you know, a 6 out of 10, keeping in mind that Kepa has been a 2, then it's money well spent. And, 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 and that's a nice thing. I don't think... I think the tone around Chelsea's transfer business in general has just changed because we're not being linked with these joke players anymore. We're actually being linked with quality players in positions that we actually need. And the types of players that we're being linked with as well, in terms of like like Andres, like what you said, not necessarily filling just a positional gap, but also other needs. We got our leader in Thiago Silva. We got, you know, possibly a solution for set pieces and shots outside the box with Edward Mendy. You know, we got better one-on-one defending out wide on the left-hand side now. We got better attackers. It's just it's just better all the way around. We're not going out and buying these Danny Drinkwaters, these Zapacosas, these Bakayokos, these Emersons because we have to. Instead, we're, we're actually doing research and, and we're picking up guys whose metrics make sense. Hey, before we move on to our Twitter questions, we got breaking news from Nick Lennartson. He tweeted at us, I don't know if this is true or not. This is according to Fabrizio Romano, Atletico Madrid are interested in Jorginho. I don't know how much to trust Nick Lenartsen on this because I don't see Fabrizio tweet anything about that. It, what do you guys think? Is that is Nick messing with us or is that I don't actually see a Atletico thing? going after Jorginho at all? That's just weird to think about. Yeah, I think he's he's screwing with us. But okay, let's. Uh. <laughs> Let's uh, move on. Uh, we don't have really too many Twitter questions. We posted the tweet kind of late, but we have uh, just a quick one from Nacho Fuentes. Shout out to Venezuela. He says, uh, from the past two matches, which players have impressed you the, mo- the most and which have disappointed you the most? Uh, whom would you like to be uh, like to have given an opportunity instead? Uh, and he said, Cho is a given. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, I'll start off with you, Zach. Which players have uh, impressed you the most and who've disappointed you the most? Um, based on last game, um, Figal Tamori looked really good. I know he had a lot of work to do, so that's you know the numbers could have been fluffed up a bit, but I thought the performance we saw was one that kind of makes you ask the question, why are we considering letting him go again? Um, that's just one. Um, I have to also go with Reese James. I thought you know, both in the Liverpool and the Brighton matches, he was phenomenal. One of the few bright spots in the Liverpool match. Um, and he's only going to get better. In terms of disappointments, we talked about Loftus-Cheek in the first game. Um, you know, Kepa goes without saying. 
Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say Kai Havertz, <laughs> not because of the way he's performing, but because we haven't seen him play behind a striker yet, which is where I think he'll be best served. So, I so really, if you're yep. disappointed in I'm Frank, disappointed that we uh, haven't seen him, you know, play the ten or some version of that. Um, you know, even against Liverpool, if he played a false nine, it would have, you know, fulfilled some sort of craving I had for him at the ten. But we didn't even get that, so. Giroud hasn't yet to make a minute yet, right? Like, he hasn't played yet this season. Am I forgetting? Correct. Okay, yeah. So maybe I would have liked to seen a little bit more of that. Play play Werner on the wing and Kai at uh, at the 10. I think that that's... That's what I had as my predicted lineup, and it really? wasn't even close. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. what I wanted to see. Um, but in terms of impress, I, I think Zuma has had a very strong start. You mentioned Reese James. That goes without question. I think, you know, we finished the season thinking, oh, Aspie will probably still be, you know, the way he finished, he'll probably still be starting when the season comes, even, you know, with the injury. But now Reese has come, and after he had a kind of dodgy project restart, he's been nothing but solid. Uh, I wanted to give a shout-out, of course, to my boy Kovacic. I thought he was extremely good against Liverpool when we had the 11 players and oh, even yeah. partially when we had the 10. Uh, and then the other player, I mean, we, we talked about Tomori. In terms of the disappointments, Loftus-Cheek obviously first game. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this second game, I didn't think defensively he was disappointing, but Alonso on the ball was just frustrating for me to see. Again, counterattacking should be quick thoughts, and every time Alonso got the ball... I don't think he even knew what he wanted to do with it next. And you can even see that he's like processing as he rolls the ball forward, backwards, forward, backwards, forward, backwards before making a sideways pass. And Timo has sprinted about 40 yards and doesn't get a pass down the line. So Alonso, who has been Chilwell coming for him, Chilwell is going to get minutes tomorrow. How is a guy who's about to lose his starting position playing so lacks and, and that's really disappointing for me uh, in terms of who i'd like to see get an opportunity <laughs> joe obviously i want to see tammy and maybe this is a perfect segue to talk about barnsley yeah well we'll, we'll get into barnsley right after uh let's just okay. let, let's 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 do the quick thoughts run through that and we'll hop into barnsley because this is this is a, a staple in our show now um we'll start <laughs> off I'll, I'll, I'll we'll do it again where I read Nick and Nick's and Zach Ooh. will do Ron. So Nick Nick actually wrote more of like a poem. It's like a it was quick like a if, haiku. It, it's like yeah, I was gonna say haiku, but I think there's too yeah, many syllables so. for that. Um, <laughs> Definitely too many sentences. It's, yeah, it's, it's three lines. I don't know how many syllables, but he says it's called quick if thoughts with Nick. I I thought that was a typo at first, but you'll see if. AC did not screw up. If Keppa did not screw up. If J5 did not screw up. <laughs> if our signings were fit, then and only then. That <laughs> was beautiful. Was beautiful. I got to say. That was Oh my god. That, that was that yeah. was the best the best <laughs> thoughts yet. That was a panty dropper. My the, the hairs in the back of yeah. my neck are just woof. if and I thought I thought my reading of it added to the effect a little bit too. But, um, Nick, 
yeah, yeah. hindsight 2020 from now on all of your quick thoughts need to be written in like poem format so uh congratulations now let's get into ron's quick thoughts and then we'll hop into barnsley zach so ron's quick thoughts aka bone daddy <laughs> aka bone daddy cool aka bone daddy deluxe <laughs> nice. bone daddy supreme nice ron said tale of two halves that's see see that's poetic that's kind of poetic that error by AC was more than likely due to him being not confident in Keppa. Ooh. That's bold. I think there's something in that. Um, all the abuse Keppa has been getting from the fan base has me worried for him. I think you're the only person in the world that's worried about Keppa. <laughs> yeah, right? what am I worried about? Um, out of here. Hey, mental health is an important issue. I'm with him. He's caused me mental health, okay? <laughs> that's only right. It's only right. <laughs> Wow, the sensitivity is uh, non-existent. Um, <laughs> this game would have been different with Hakeem Ziyech or Captain America. I think so, too. Venezuelans run the Fantasy Premier League. You know what? I, I have I, I have four Manchester players, and none of them played in week one. So g- give me some time. You um, also have Harry Kane and Son. I, I mean, do. That's just I do. very disappointing. Well, Son went off this weekend. Um, How the heck them. could you not... I'm still mid-table, and four of my players only played one game. So <laughs> Andreas passed me by one point. That was Ayo. disappointing. Ron Go said, I... Timo is the real deal, and Kai had some runs. I thought the same thing, Ron. <laughs> yeah, he had the runs for you, sure. You can see the influence Anthony Barry has had on the team. I don't know if I can see it yet, but um, I sure hope he, he is. Uh, this Cho thing worries me a bit. And then last but not least... We'll be fine once the Calvary comes in. So I think Ron and Nick pretty much touched on the same things in both of their endings. Nick, <laughs> a lot more poetic um, than Ron, but... The best is yet they, to come. Exactly. They alluded to the signing, so... Only time will tell, guys. Just be patient. All right, let's hop into Barnsley. Andreas, we'll start off with you. What do, what do you want to see uh, as far as, like, what players get chances and just, like what you want to see frank do yeah i i think we need to put out a strong lineup i think it's been obvious that the team hasn't meshed quite as much as we would have hoped obviously with a short off season so it goes without saying that tiago silva uh ben chilwell and even aspie who's been hurt i hope all three of them start in the back line which is a lot of subs but i mean we play again on saturday the guy who i really want to see is tammy and the reason behind that is, is, well, we don't know why Frank opted for a non-traditional striker in a game when he had two healthy mm-hmm. ones. Now, he was our top goal scorer last season. He finished off kind of poorly. Let's see what he does. As Zach mentioned, he had a good cameo against Liverpool. Hashtag Team Tammy. Uh, let's see if he can, can do that from the beginning. I want to see Tammy show, like, hey – yeah, Timo Werner is great, but so am I. You know, we can both play on here while everybody gets healthy. And heck, maybe I can even get a run out when all those guys are healthy too. So Tammy's the guy who I hope he starts tomorrow and I hope that he can get a good performance. Apart from that, uh, I hope we, you know, usually I want to see all these academy kids and such. But to be honest, I want to see mostly our team. I hope that, you know, maybe Kovacic gets another match since he didn't play against Brighton. And maybe see Kai in his actual position for once. That'd be nice. I have I have four four requests. I have 
I need to see Cho. I need to see RLC. That's a given. I need to see Kai Havertz at the 10, and I need to see Tammy up top. I think we're exactly spot on, Andres. Um, in terms of... I don't think RLC should start, though. No, no, I think RLC should start, but I don't think he should start at the 10. I think Frank should be like, Kai, Where would you listen, play him, then? you're going to play the 10. You're playing against a crap team. Let's see what you got. And just see what kind of player Kai Havertz could be for us at the 10. This is a good opportunity because it's... It's low risk to play him there. If it doesn't work out in the first hour or after 75 minutes, he can make a change and we can nick a goal and we could come away with a result if we need to. But in general, mm-hmm. I don't want to see a weak lineup. Um, and I don't want to see Keppa again. That's for damn sure. <laughs> he won't play tomorrow, <laughs> that's for sure. But um, I think I think Frank is for sure going to play it like a you know regular match and play his starters. I he he go it's still three substitutions right yeah. the EFL okay EFL yes. cup didn't change it so um i mean i think that when, he, when i was listening to his presser earlier today like he talked about you know treating this match to help the players get fit and you know like we're we're just not you know whether that meant like physically Mentally fit or fit like too. chemistry or yeah. yeah or like chemistry as well like playing together um, I think it's more along those sides than you know physically fit because you can get fit in training, but I mean obviously you know playing is a different different game. But it's uh I I I'm so this is gonna be probably like the earliest round of an EFL you know cup that I'm or Carabao Cup that I'm actually gonna be like really excited to looking you know forward to watching. Uh, so I'm I'm do do you guys think that like Tiago Silva and Chilwell will both play like a full 90. I don't think there's any chance those guys will. I think but... Tiago Silva might cuz cuz he wasn't injured. He was he, he was uh, just why... on holiday. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think he plays the 90. Chilwell I think Chilwell. You know, because Aspie Aspie can slide over so Chilwell you know, if Alonso's not the one coming in, Aspie switches over to the left mm-hmm. and Reese James, James comes in at the right uh, so or we could have put in Tariq Lamptey also if only us just kidding let it, let it go <laughs> let it go alright uh, is there anything else you guys want to well, any predictions uh, it's kind of hard to predict these score lines I think we're gonna like we're I think Cho and Tammy score it would be really nice if Tammy and Cho got a goal yeah I'm gonna go with that it's a must I, I think, think it's a must do. win Tiago Silva, like it's it'll look really Thiago bad. Of course, goal off a corner. <laughs> Debut. Okay. Jumps into the stands. All right. And I'm just happy I didn't make a prediction last mm-hmm. week because it was a. Uh, so I'm I'm gonna refrain from making a prediction. But I think I think if we don't win this match, it it'll look bad. Um. All right. We'll finish off talking about West Brom, uh, this Saturday or the Sunday. Um. Right now they're sitting 20th after two matches. They lost to Leicester 3-0 on opening day, followed up by a crushing 5-2 loss to Everton this past weekend. Um, not looking too good. Uh, you know, clearly, I mean, clearly as a you know promotion side, they're just <laughs> look like they don't belong in the Premier League right now. They played a 5-4-1 in both of these matches, and they looked to hit on the counter with their wingers. Um, so just some players to be wary of. Uh, Mateus Pereira, he's a left-footed winger who likes to cut inside, so he scored and assist, assisted last week against Everton. And uh, Grady Diangana, yeah. 
uh, he's a West Ham youth prodigy who was you know controversially sold to West Brom last month. Uh, netted his first EPL goal last week as well. Um, and don't forget the man himself, Bronislav Ivanovic. Right. Bronislav. Oh my God, I forgot they got him. That's awesome. Dude. By the way, Watch out for him uh, on set pieces. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, he's talking about just real quick, Brighton in the EFL Cup. Did you guys see my boy Ali Reza Jahan Bash, his goal? Know. He had a goal and an assist wow. in that match. Shout Let's out to Iran. Uh, so... Yeah, shout out to Iran. Uh, so, what are your guys' predictions? Uh, on actually, before we get into predictions, uh, you know, this is this is the second match in the week, and we're expecting to play most of our starters in the Barnsley match. So, how do you guys think Frank manages as far as like the the minutes in the Barnsley match? Is he gonna you know prefer to take a guy out for this West Brom match or like? Can he also treat this West Brom matchup as like, you know, not something to be too worried about? No, I think. Uh, I don't think I don't think Werner plays tomorrow. Like I, I mm-hmm. don't like if we're talking about match fitness and meshing. The one guy that probably doesn't need to play is, is Timo Werner. Um, apart from obviously Kepa getting dropped, but I think he'll be fresh for Saturday. Uh, I think also Saturday may include a bench that has Ziyech and Pulisic uh, from, from what he said in the mm-hmm. in the presser today. So, in terms of who you play tomorrow versus who you play Saturday, like I said, the rotational guys are the ones that you look to, to bring in earlier maybe tomorrow once the lead is secured if they're not the guys starting. So, your, your Mount, uh, not your Mount, sorry, your Barclays. Uh, gosh, I don't why is he the only name that I can think of? RLC, if he's not starting. Maybe Jorginho comes off the bench since you probably won't use him anymore if you have the right personnel on Saturday. I mean, we have – you know, you never know. Maybe we'll even see Malang Zar. I mean, the guy hasn't even left out on loan yet. So he's our player. And if we're not mm. trying to tire people out, he could maybe get a run out. Obviously, there's only three subs, but I don't see us having – Watch Malang Zar start at left back over Emerson. <laughs> God, I, I don't see the key contributors that you expect to play Saturday get a full 90 here. So you, Havertz, uh, Conte can do it. Kovacic can p- potentially do it. But I don't see Havertz doing it. Uh, I don't even think Werner comes out. So, you know, out of the new guys, Chilwell won't play a full 90, like we said. So I think it's important for Thiago to get a full 90 because whether it's a Premier League team or championship, division won't two. It's going to be a physical game, and it'll be important for him you to don't, be you don't accustomed sub, to that. You don't sub Thiago Silva out. <laughs> Fair. In, in general, like players like that, you just don't. Well, think about I don't also know. the age he's at, though. Like, you know, I don't it, think it, you it, have it, to get the same. Can, it, I know, I know, but his situation is different from a Chilwell because he's not coming off an injury. He was just on vacation. So if it's just a matter of match fitness, he's been training with us for the last week. You know, I'm sure he can get 90 minutes under his belt. It's not like it's going to be that physically taxing on him. You know, they're, they're, we're and not yeah, expecting you would hope his Barnes to be on the front what... foot. Right. He, yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, he's, he's just going to be pinging passes around, getting more affiliated, you know, with the ground, with his teammates, you know, communicating and things like that. I, I think 
regardless of the lineup we put out against Barnsley, we have to put out our strongest possible team against West Brom. We c- we're, we're coming off of a loss yep. and two unconvincing performances. So it's, it's it's not like we have a comfortable lead at the top of the table and or it's not even like we started out the season, you know, like Liverpool where, you know, we came out with two wins. They, their wins weren't even comfortable per se, their first one at least. So we have to come out as strong as possible and we just kind of have to sucker punch West Brom. And it's unfortunate for them now we have to play them this early, but I have a good feeling about this game and... I have a feeling it's going to be our first game where we where, where we see a sort of goal fest. So, I know we didn't get into predictions yet, but I'm going to say three 0 Chelsea. I say we get our first clean sheet, and Werner gets a debut, and Werner gets his first Chelsea goal for us. And I know I'm a hundred percent right. <laughs> I just have a gut feeling. <laughs> Andreas, what about you? Uh for West Brom, I think we'll get our first clean sheet. I like that. I think that's that. Is that going to be Mendy's first start? <laughs> Won't be in a coincidence. My book, it is. Okay, cool. I think that's if if he's in goal, it's our first clean sheet. If not, sorry, Andreas, I don't think that's happening. But yeah, I'm not too worried about this match. Uh, even if we d- don't play our best eleven, I understand coming off a loss like this is a must win, especially against this team. But We'll see. I, I I'm not saying you know play the youth, but you know I think I think what Andreas said, Werner not playing against Barnley, so he'll be good to go for a full ninety. I think we'll see. That would be his first goal, yeah, because he won a penalty. Um, yeah. All right. I think that's uh. I think that's Excellent. it. I'm not gonna give. I'm not gonna give a number. Like yeah. A number. I don't like that. I'm just glad I got through the podcast and my voice only cracked once. So for me, that's a win. Yeah. So no matter what happens. Hey, you didn't you didn't let your you didn't let your voice. you didn't let your lack of having a voice stop you from talking, Zach. That's for sure. I did not. I did not. I did go <laughs> off on a few tangents today. But you know what? They were well warranted and they were damn good. So. No, but anyways, no. that does bring us to the end of this week's episode. So hopefully, by the time we talk to you next. We'll be on to the next round of the Carabao Cup, and we'll have three more points in the bag and back to winning ways in the Premier League. But until next week, make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at Roman's Empire Pod, um, and keep the blue flag flying high.